Because <clears throat> this morning, literally the, the message that God gave me is on the word blameless. And what it means to be blameless or to be perfect. And we're going to go through the Bible a little bit and talk about what the word blameless and means and what it means to be perfect. Because you know that the Bible says that we're supposed to be perfect as God is perfect. And a lot of people say that that's impossible to be perfect. But I'm going to talk to you about what the word perfect or blameless means. And I'm going to start off by giving you the, the scripture in Genesis 6 and 9. And everybody that knows me knows that if I ever get to talk about Genesis 6, I get excited. But in Genesis 6 and 9, it says that Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. We're going to talk about that word perfect and what it meant to be perfect in his generation. He was a, it said that he was perfect in his generation. Matthew 5 and 48 is where God tells us, Be ye perfect as even your Father in heaven is perfect. Also, Matthew 24 and 37 says, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. And Noah was a perfect man. He was righteous and he was perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. So what does it mean to be perfect, even as our Father in heaven is perfect? Because he says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the, the, Noah's day. And Noah was perfect in his day. He was considered a perfect man in his day. We know that the Bible says in Matthew 24, if you will uh, go to Matthew 24, 32 uh, through 35, I learned a lesson from the fig tree when it branches, buds, and it leaves begin to sprout. You know that summer is near. In the same way, you can see all these things. You know his return is very near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the seed until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Just keep going. Go one more. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels of the, in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. And so what we see here, it says it will be like it was in Noah's day. And he tells us to be ready. And because it, it will be like it was, in the, that it will be the fig tree generation. He said, take note of the fig tree. And I preach this so many times, I feel like probably most of you here that's been going for a while should be able to know what the fig tree generation is. But the Bible tells us, and I'll say it again for those that do not know, that the fig tree is Israel. And it says, when Israel becomes a nation again in Isaiah 66, in one day, it says, can a nation be born in a single day? When you see this thing happen, know that the fig tree has bloomed, has given forth its fruit, and flowers will then again begin to bloom in the desert. We know that that happened in May 1948. And Jesus says, when the fig tree blooms, pay attention that that generation will not pass away before it sees all these things take place. Then he goes on to say it will be like it was in Noah's day. In Noah's days, they were drinking, they were giving in marriage all the way up until time to enter into the, into the ark. And so... 
it was saying that it, it also says it'll be like as the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah that it will there will be unrighteousness all over the earth and we are living in those days. Seventy four years uh, it has been since the fig tree generation began, and so he says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be. So God tells us that we are supposed to be perfect, even as our Father in heaven was perfect. And the Bible says that God was so bad at mankind and the days of Noah that he was so upset about what had occurred and how bad uh, mankind's uh, gene pool had been uh, mutated and messed up and they had become, uh, the, the, the DNA of man had been altered by the fallen angels and they had become so evil and, and so perverted and so uh, uh, violent and so just cruel. And he says that God wished that he had never made man upon this earth. But it says, but Noah was a perfect man in his day. Had it not been for one man named Noah, had it not been for one man who had kept himself righteous, which means in right standing with God, had it not been for one man who was genetically completely perfect, which is what this word means, and we're going to get to it, uh, had it not been that Noah walked with God, then mankind, as we know it, would have not have been saved. It was the, it was the, he, because of his righteousness, all mankind uh, that was left on the earth were saved. And so we see here that God says it will be just like that in the last days. The Bible also talks about Adam and Eve and how when God first created them, he created them perfect and he breathed his breath into them, which was the Ruach, the Spirit of God, which gave them life. And it says that they walked with God in the cool of the day. If you'll notice, it also says that Noah was perfect in his generation and Noah walked with God. So what does it take for us to be able to walk with God? We have to be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect. When Adam and Eve were perfect, they walked with God. When Noah was perfect, he walked with God. But how can we be perfect? Jesus said, with man these things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen? So we see here... In James chapter 1, um, verses 2 through 4, if you could pull those up. James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when you, your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So we see here in James, he's talking about when troubles of any kind come our way, trials of any kind come our way, it says, take it as a time that God is growing us, that he is, uh, in, he is increasing our faith, he is making us stronger as we go. And he says, and when our endurance is tested, we can become perfect. Now the word in, in, in Greek for perfect or uh, blameless means complete, fully mature. It means that you're fully mature and you're complete. You have grown in the completeness of your walk with God until your salvation. How many knows that we're born again unto salvation? That we are born again, and that is the first process of uh, obtaining our salvation. In the Old Testament, the word for blameless, when it says that they were perfect or they were blameless, is a word that was used. This is how important this word is. It's, it's pronounced timba. But it means that it was used 91 times just in the Old Testament. Noah was perfect. It said he was perfect. Adam and Eve at that time, that they were genetically whole. They were unimpaired. This is what the word in Hebrew means, genetically whole, unimpaired, pure, 
and with perfect integrity. So Noah was not just a man of integrity. He was not man, uh, just a man that walked in right standing with God, but Noah was a man that was uh, genetically pure. He was blameless. He was spotless. His, he, he was from a perfect bloodline. And so we're going to talk about this word because if you haven't noticed lately, uh, I have been going back to the Hebrew and using some of the words and the letters of the Hebrew to show us some of the things that God has, is showing us biblically. So if we take the root word of this word, it, it's tov. And the word tov is, it shows, I've told you in other messages, that when God uses letters in the Hebrew language, they, they represent a sound, they also represent a number, they represent a symbol. And this, the symbol of this is wooden sticks that are crossed, crossed wooden sticks. And this word means a sign, a seal, or a covenant. How many of you know that even in the Old Testament in Hebrew, the cross represented a covenant? It literally, the word tov, which means genetically pure, uh, blameless, without blemish, its root word, the root of it, means a cross, which is a seal or a covenant. How many of you know that even in the Old Testament, God told the story of us as Gentiles being redeemed by God, being purified, being cleansed by God. In every story of the Old Testament, it, which, was, uh, which is literally the history of the Israelite people, in every story of it, God has the, the salvation of the Gentiles hidden in every story. And so we see here that the cross means a covenant. It means a seal. It means a covenant. And then the, another letter in the word is mem, which means a pitcher of water. It is water. And then it is the letter which is Y-O-O-D, yud, which is a pitcher of outstretched hand, which means in Hebrew a mighty deed or a purpose that was accomplished. So when we talk about the word that means perfect or blameless, we see here that, that it, comes, it talks about a cross, wood sticks, a side, and a seal, or a covenant, a pitcher of water, and then an outstretched hand that's accomplished a purpose. And so in Exodus 12 and 5, it says this, Your lamb shall be a lamb without blemish, a male of the first year. How many of you know that the old covenant, which is what Old Testament means, the word testament means a, a covenant or a contract that was made between God and the Israelite people. God made an old covenant with Israel. And in that old covenant, he talked about a lamb that they had to use, that they had to slay a lamb that was a lamb that was without blemish, a perfect lamb with no spots, with no genetic impurities, with no blemishes. And they would have to shed its blood. And if they shed the blood of this lamb, it would cover their sins. And it would keep them from, from God being able to see their sins. But it was not something that was permanent that would last forever because it did not change the nature of mankind. And it was only for the Hebrew people. It was only for the Israelites. So it was not a perfect plan that was completely accomplished. It was part of the plan. The rest of the plan had to continue to be accomplished. So by the blood of a spotless lamb being shed, they could have their sins covered over, but they would still have the same nature to want to sin. So even though God would forgive their sins, they still had to struggle constantly with the desire of sin. 
And this was the covenant he made with Israel. And when he wrote the Ten Commandments, that's why in the New Testament it says that the Ten Commandments were not enough because it, we could not follow the Ten Commandments as Gentiles. We had Our very nature was hostile towards the words of God. As Gentiles born, our very nature was fallen. And so to read the Word of God and to say, do not do this and you shall not do this, it, was very, it made us want to rebel. We had a rebellious nature just naturally to rebel rebel against what was told to do. And so that covenant did not work for us because just giving the law did not change us because our hearts were hearts of stone. And so we see here that Jesus had to come and he had to make a new covenant. And that's what the New Testament means. It is a new covenant, a new contract, a new uh, thing that God made with, with now the Gentile church and the bride of Christ that he says that now we can be perfect, we can be blameless, we can be spotless, we can now be purified. He can change everything that's in us and make us something brand new. So in the new covenant, if you take the word that means blameless or perfect, you can look at it and it says that through the already spotless lamb on the cross, who is the outstretched hand of God, that he came and changed the water of judgment to a water that purifies. Let me explain. Water in the Old Testament, when it talked about this word, uh, and it talked about uh, he was blameless, he was protected. Noah was protected from the flood, the water that was sent to purify the earth. Noah was protected from this water that was judgment, and he was protected by, guess what, wooden sticks. He was protected by something made from wood that was built by God, that God told him exact measurements, exact dimensions, everything to build it. And he was protected by the wood. So it's the same scenario but the water then was a water that cleansed, just like the water of baptism is today. How many of you know that when the water fell on the earth, it was baptizing and cleaning the earth from all the impure things? And the water of baptism still is a water that purifies, but the judgment has been taken out of it. It's purifying without judgment. It's purifying without us having to physically die. Now we just lay down our lives spiritually so that we can pick up our lives again. And so we see here that this water of judgment that it's cleansing, that Jesus was the pure spotless lamb. Noah was pure. He was blameless. God used Jesus, and this was a story even at the beginning of the story that told about us and that told about what Jesus was going to do for us later. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Ephesians 5, 25 through, yeah, 25 through 27. For husbands, this means love your wife as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And so we see here that God now is comparing us to the Lamb. He's now saying that Noah was a perfect man without blemish, without spot. Jesus was a perfect man without spot or without blemish. The lambs that were sacrificed in the Old Testament had to be without blemish. They had to be perfect. They had to be spotless. And now he is comparing us, the Gentile church, and saying that we are now to be without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. And so we see here that this is an ongoing theme throughout the Bible. is something that is purified. It is without spot. It's without blemish. It's been purified and made clean. 
So what does that mean for us as a church? There was 22 scriptures just in Leviticus that said without blemish. They had the word that means without blemish. Not teed times just in the book of Numbers that it says that the lamb had to be without blemish. How many of you think that God, it is important for, to God for us to be without blemish? Did this, this without blemish could not happen to Gentiles because in our very nature we were blemished. We were born blemished. We were born already with blemished. We were born so blemished that we were genetically mutated. We did not have the, the, the DNA, which means DNA, God means the book of life. Our book of life was already, it had already been blemished from the very get-go. So our very nature was completely in opposite of God. Romans says it like this, that God was not our father, that our father was the devil, and that we, had, we came from a wild uh, vine that had to be grafted in to the true vine of God. We had to be adopted, and now we could cry, I'm a father. Because he takes us in and he changes us. But our very nature was contrary towards God's nature. So what I'm trying to tell you this morning is you cannot be without spot or blemish unless you're born again. You cannot be without spot or blemish unless you've been born again. As Gentiles, we must be born again. We must go through the water that cleanses us. It purifies. Why did God send the flood? To purify those that things that Jude says, when the angels came down, they did what should have never been done. And so what did they do? They had to purify the world from the wickedness that the enemy had brought upon the wickedness that was prophesied already by God in Genesis when he told Satan, your seed will try to bruise the heel of God's seed that will come through a woman, but her seed will crush your head. And so we see here that and, and that in the Old Testament, it tells the story of God redeeming uh, Noah because he was spotless, because he was pure, because he was blameless. So he got to escape the wrath of God that came upon the earth. How many of you know that the wrath of God is coming upon the earth again? But he said, this time it won't be water, it'll be by fire. He said that I'm, the wrath of God is coming when the cup of wrath is filled, it will come. And he said that we will see that happen in the fig tree generation. He said in the fig tree generation, would you see Israel become a nation again in one day? He said, no, that those that are born and alive in that day will see the wrath of God and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so what can keep us from having to endure the wrath of God that comes upon this earth. What keeps us from having to go through what is coming upon this earth? It is that we have to be like Noah. We have to be perfect in our generation. We have to be blameless before God. We have to be tamed. We have to be completely pure in our integrity, in our genetics, in our nature has to be purified. How do you do that if you're born impure? How do you? How can you change? Or Nicodemus said it like this: How can a man go into his mother's womb and come out again? And Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. How does somebody that is impure become pure? How does somebody that is selfish become unselfish? How does someone that is that is plagued with sin and has generational curses of sin and they're born already in sin, how do they make themselves pure? We cannot. We must be born again. We must be born again to be able to escape those things that are coming upon the earth because just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the coming of the Son of Man is. It says in those days that people were just going on with everyday life. A lot of people think 
that it's that that they're that it's going to be so crazy that everybody's just going to know. But Thessalonians says that people will be put under a great delusion, and they will be completely tricked and will not even know that it's at the time that it's that it is. And let me tell you something, to guys. You know how I know that people are in a great delusion? Because at this church, we talk about the second coming of Jesus on a constant basis. We talk about we talk about last day's things. We talk about end-time prophecy. We look and we see what the world news says. We compare it to what the Bible is. If there's ever been a church that has been warned that we're living in the last days, this church is one of those. And yet some of our people in this church are still lukewarm. Some of our people in this church still do not serve God the way that they're supposed to. They still don't take it serious. And so if the enemy can deceive even those that are in this house where the Spirit of God is powerful and the Spirit of God reigns and we talk about the second coming of God and we show them what the day and the time we're living in, even if they can live in a great delusion, then imagine how the rest of the churches in the world is. They're living in a great delusion. They're blinded. Guys, why does it say in Thessalonians that they will be put in a great delusion? It doesn't say that Satan does it. It says that God does. It says God allows them to fall into a great delusion. Why? It says because they would rather love this present world. They love sin more than they love God. And so God allows them to fall under a delusion. In other words, let me tell you something, guys. This might not be the most, uh, this might not make you feel all that great and make you want to run and jump and shout, but it should because it may just keep you out of hell. But let me tell you something. Just because if you, if you can keep your mind in the day that we live and the things that we've seen in the last two years, if you, if you can forget that and every day begin to fall back into sin, back into sin, back into sin, let me tell you something. You need to be born again. You need to be changed. You need to have a heart change. You need to have a nature change. You need to be awoken because the problem is, guys, that God says he knows our hearts. A lot of people think that they're going to run into heaven by the skin of their teeth in the very last bit. But let me tell you something. I don't want to count on the skin of my teeth because when I think about skin being on teeth, I think about people not brushing their teeth. And I don't think that if I go in with, and I've got some dirty teeth that I'm going to depend on the dirt on my teeth to get into heaven. I think that we need to make, we need to get up into a place to where, hey, if I'm so easily distracted, maybe I need to realize that I need my eyes to be changed. Maybe if I'm so easily distracted, I need to get my a heart changed. See, the problem is, is guys, when you truly become born again, when you truly give your heart totally to God, there is a radical transformation that takes place on the inside of you. There is a radical move of God that takes place on the inside of you. And when we, they were singing that song, I blameless. I'm spotless. You called me out. Man, I couldn't help but weep and cry before the Lord because I've been serving God. Most of all of my life, I have served God. Uh, Katie said it in her thing, and I thought it was funny. She said, I was pretty much born in the Pentecostal church. I was preaching at 10. I was filled with the Holy Ghost at 10 years old, and I've served God. But it's still, when I think about the fact that God saved me and he chose me because I was not an Israelite. I didn't come from the Hebrew people. I was not the ones that was the chosen by God. I came from a Gentile nation, a nation that was unholy and without God. I come from a people, and are my family lineage that were a, a people of sin and a people of, 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 of sickness and perversion and alcoholism and poverty and everything else and when I think about who God is and that he chose me 
And I think about the fact that now I can stand here blameless before God. I can stand here and the Holy Ghost can flood through my soul and I can feel the presence of God and that that veil has been rent that I can now come into the Holy of Holies when even the Israelites were not allowed to. That it begins to move me and it begins to touch me that I know that God has changed my life. And I can't ever think about the fact that he made me into something I wasn't without beginning to weep and cry before God. Because the fact of the matter is that I know that he is my father. I feel God. I walk with him. I talk with him. I feel his love. He talks to me. And the fact, just that fact that I've been accepted into the family of God, it means everything. And I think that if we ever really comprehended it, we ever realized that God is a God of mercy and love, and he didn't have to adopt us. He didn't have to adopt his enemy's children. He didn't have to choose us. He didn't have to forgive us. He didn't have to make us blameless and spotless. He didn't have to come and live and die so that we would have a chance to get to heaven. And Jesus was so good that because the Gentiles had no way to get into heaven, that even when he died, he went into hell and preached to the lost souls to even give them a chance after his death to get saved. God is a merciful and he is a good God and I don't think that any of us really comprehend that we didn't have to be born again. It is a privilege to be accepted by God. It is a privilege to be chosen by a holy God. And he says that in the Romans, he said, don't you know that if I will cut the old limb off of the original tree, the Israelites, and remove them because they don't serve me and obey me. Don't you know that I will even more remove you if you don't obey me as well? And so I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that I can call him Abba Father, but I also know that I better walk right and talk right and I better spit right because I know that I barely got in by the mercy of God and I will not cause his mercy and grace to be trampled on. I will not take it and be like, oh, I can just live the old way I want to live. I can just do anything I want to do because he's still looking for a pure, spotless bride. He's still looking for a bride that is cleansed and purified. And the fact that we get to be a part of it is a miracle. The fact that we got to be chosen is a miracle. And I don't take that for granted. For that matter, every day of our life, we should live it sacrificed unto God because we, we, we were the ones that barely escaped. We were the ones that barely got a chance to even make it. And if we were born in the Old Testament, we would have been killed. God said, kill every single Gentile. Don't leave any of them, even the children. Kill them all because they're so evil, they're unredeemable right now. Do you know as Gentiles, we were unredeemable because we were so naturally wicked? And if it wasn't for the Spirit of the living God, we would be unredeemable now. It is only by the Spirit of God that there is any good in us. Paul said, the only good in me is Christ. In the, in the song, it may have been that song, it was singing and it said the words, and the power that is in me is you. The only good and the only power that lives in us is just God. That's why people always quote the scripture, there's no righteous, no, not one. There is no righteous, no, not one, unless they're born again. And then now our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. He puts us in right standing with God. None of us were ever righteous, nor could we ever achieve righteousness. But with being born again, it's possible with God. 
We could be in right standing with God. We could be righteous before God. What I love about this is the fact that the wood sticks was used to build the ark. The wood sticks was used to build the cross. The water was used to cleanse the first time. And God tells us we must be born again of water unto repentance. And we must be born again of spirit. And so we see here that the water now, instead of us having to be uh, flooded by the water, now we just go under the water and we come up a brand new person. In the Old Testament before Jesus, the water killed you. In the New Testament, the water gives you new life. It is, that's the difference that Jesus makes. Judgment versus mercy. Judgment versus mercy. The cleansing still has to take place, but now the water is a water of cleansing. It's a water of life. The water went from a place of death to a place of life. That's what Jesus could do. He takes death and he makes life out of it. He raises things that were once dead and he brings life to it again. There was so much resurrection power in Jesus Christ that when he rose from the dead, the dead around him rose. How many of you know that the walking dead is real? It happened in the New Testament. When Jesus rose from the dead, it says the graves of the people around him, they rose too. Because the resurrection power of God was so strong within him. He could change even dead things. That's why in Ezekiel, it says, Son of man, can these bones live? And he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he says, Well, then prophesy over these bones and tell them I will make breath enter into them, and they will live, says the Lord. And so he said, I began to prophesy, and I said, Live, says the Lord. And it says that breath entered into them. That's the Ruach. That's the breath of God. That's the Spirit of God. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the breath of God that brings life to dead things. It is the same Spirit that hovered over the waters when God created the earth. It's the same Spirit that God breathed into Adam when he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And as Gentiles, it is what he gives us when we're born again of water and then born again of Spirit. The Spirit of God is breathed into us. And we become a living being again. We become born again, cleansed and now fire baptized. Why does Jesus tell us that we have to be born of water and of spirit? Why does he say we have to be born of the water of repentance and then the spirit and fire? Because there's two judgments that has been known about since the beginning of time that God would send judgment with water and then God would spend judgment with fire. How do you escape the judgment that came with water? And how do we escape the judgment that is coming with fire? We must be born again of the water and born again of the fire. The fire can't burn us if we're already on fire. How many of you know that hell is a lake of fire, but that God is also a consuming fire? God makes us, he gives us a choice. This is the choice that Jesus gives us. Judgment or mercy. Be cleansed by the water of judgment or be cleansed by the water of mercy. Be cleansed by the fire of judgment or be cleansed by the fire of the Holy Spirit. It is up to us to choose which one we would rather have. Either way, God's going to cleanse this earth and this earth is going to be blameless and spotless and purified again. We just get to choose which way we want to go. That is the mercy of God. I've heard a lot of people say in my past, if God's so loving, why does he send people to hell? And it makes me bad. Why? Because I know God. I've experienced the love of God. I have a relationship with God. And anybody that says anything about him, it makes me bad. Two, 
is because people are arrogant little jerks. We don't have a right to, to say anything about what God does. He can do anything he wants to do. He's God. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one that speaks worlds into existence. Who are we to ever uh, question God? We have no right to question God. If God wants to send every one of us to hell, we would all deserve it. That's the fact of the matter is, it is by the mercy. The problem is, is the fear of the reverence of God has been lost in modern day churches, in, modern, in this modern day world. No one understands the reverent fear of God. They don't understand the mercy and the love of God because they don't fear God. If we knew that he has the power to throw both body and soul into hell, the fact that he would choose us would make us ever so humbled and meekened, and we would begin to cry out before God and say, thank you that you had all right and power to throw me into hell, but instead you chose to adopt me and make me a child of yours. You chose to bless me instead of curse me. You chose to take me out of my issues and give me a new life instead of condemning me to hell. That is something that we should never forget. I don't care how long you've served God, don't you ever forget that you were headed to hell. Don't you ever forget that there's nothing, that our righteousness is nothing that we have done, that it's only by the blood of Jesus that we are made righteous before God. And without Him, none of us can be righteous. Am I able to live righteous now that I've been born again 100%? Is it my place to walk it out and to live it out 100%? But I couldn't even do it if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. If Jesus had not have changed my nature, if He had not have taken me from being a Gentile to a child of Abraham, if He had not have put in His Spirit in me, I couldn't have lived right. I couldn't have done the right thing. I would have failed miserably every single day. And those people and those priests, Preachers that stand behind pulpits and tell you that you have to sin every day and that everybody sins all the time is because they haven't been born again themselves. Because I'm here to tell you there is a Spirit of God that will come inside of you and He will make you holy. Because if a Spirit of lust can live in you and make you lustful, then a Holy Spirit can come in and make you holy. People that don't understand how people can say that they can live right is because they've never been born again. Do you struggle with sin all the time and think there ain't no way those people live as good as they say they live? You must be born again. You haven't truly, well, I prayed and I've asked God to forgive me. Well, we don't live in the Old Testament. God don't just forgive anymore. He makes people changed. And how do you know if you've been changed? There'll be evidence. And what is the evidence? It is the fruit that you will now bear. You didn't buy that fruit because you already had fruit. The blood of Jesus bought you that fruit. You couldn't have carried that fruit because you came from a bad tree that didn't bear any fruit and bore thorns. But because Jesus Christ gave you the money, you could now purchase fruit. And that's what God is looking for when he comes back. He's looking for those that have been grafted into the true vine, that bear the fruit of the Spirit of God, that their very nature has been changed. Do you know what happens when your nature is changed? Living right becomes natural. When I have a changed nature, living right now becomes natural. When I use to say cuss words, I now hit my finger and say, la la or praise the Lord. Why? Because what comes out of my mouth is different. My papa used to say it like this, you'll walk right, talk right, and spit white. How do you know if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, the way you talk will change, the way you walk will change, and even the way you spit will change. 
Why? Because you won't be bowed down with addictions anymore. You'll be set free. Because the Bible says those that are in Christ Jesus are free indeed. Indeed, they're free. They're not still chained down by the same bondages. Well, what if I've still got bondages? It's not because Jesus didn't do his part. It's because you didn't do your part. It's because you didn't repent, therefore, and be ye baptized. It's because you didn't ask God to fill you with the spirit of the living God. And it's because without faith, these things are not possible. You have to have faith and believe that Jesus Christ will change you and make all things new. He told his mother, mother, I make all things new. I don't think any of you really, really get that. But that means everything new in your life. That means how your life was messed up. You were depressed. You were in bondage. You were tormented. You had depression. You had anxiety. You had all these mental issues. You had all these physical issues. Jesus said, I come to make all things new. Everything becomes new. Nothing remains the same. So why do we continue in sin? Should we continue in sin even though grace abounds? God forbids it. I'm going to tell you all that verse better than the way people read it. People go, shall we continue in sin? The grace abounds, God forbid. No, God is not, Jesus was not Southern. He didn't say, God forbid. That's not the way he said it. He said, Paul says, shall we continue in sin? Though grace abounds, and he says, God forbids it. Shall we continue to live in sin after God's grace has come out of our life? God forbids it. It don't say, God forbid, that'd be terrible. It's saying, God forbids it. No, we don't continue in sin, even though grace abounds. Why? Because grace is the power of God to be different. It is the grace extended unto you to live a life that you could have never lived had it not been for the power of God that came into your life. I was explaining it to somebody the other day that was asking me about being free. They said they'd been going to church for a few years, but they were still struggling with drug abuse. And I said, a few years? That's rough. And they said, well, we do a 12-step program. And I said, what's the good of them telling you how to get up a pair of steps when you ain't got legs? And I said, telling somebody to go up 12 steps when they ain't got legs, they ain't doing them no good. I said, you got to be born again first. You got to get some new legs. You got to have a brand new body. You got to get redeemed by God. I can't get up those steps and make it if I'm still lame. I have to be born again. God has to give me the ability to do what I cannot do on my own. How do we, as goats, because that's what we were, become unblemished sheep? Do you know there's six differences between a goat and a sheep? There's six differences. The first one is their hair. Sheep have wool and goats have hair. Sheeps have to go to the shepherd and they have to be shored and it all removed off of them or they get overheated and weighted down at least once a year. Goats never go to the shepherd to get anything shored off of them. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? If you're a sheep, you're going to continually go to the Father again and again and again to get weights and sin and heaviness removed off of your life. You're going to continue to get things removed off of you. Why? Because that thick coke that gets on them, what, what would happen is flies would come and lay eggs into that thick coat and it would make them, to, or maggots would begin to grow and the maggots would begin to eat into their skin and eventually kill them. 
And so if we don't go to the Father and get the heavy things removed off of our life over and over and over again, the enemy will implant the devil and sins and stuff in us, and eventually it will eat us alive. What's another thing about them? It says that goats keep their tails always pointed upwards, but sheep keep their tails downward. That represents humility. Sheeps always keep their, it says, what's so funny is it says that most sheep are born with docked tails. But if even if they're not born with their tails docked, that they still keep their tails pointed down all the time. Then the next thing that it talks about is their diet. Goats will eat anything, even things that they're not supposed to eat. They call them browsers or rollers. They run around nibbling and picking on whatever they can find. This is people that are insatiable. They're always looking for the next thing to make them happy. They're, they try this hobby and this don't work. So they try this, then they try this, then they try this. They try the world here. They try this in the world. They look for somebody different. That don't work. That don't make them happy. So then they go over there. Look, they look for this to make them happy. And they're always looking for something else to eat to satisfy them. Goats are insatiable. They're never satisfied. But it says that lambs, they walk around eating with their head down in humility, just listening for the shepherd's voice, and they just graze. They just continually graze. A goat will literally stand up on its back head, uh, hind feet, and eat over a fence to eat a leaf that's in a tree across the fence instead of just bending down and eat the grass. Life, they make life hard, don't they? They can literally just look down and eat the grass, but instead they will stand up and reach across to try to get the, the green, the leaf on the thing across the fence. Thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. And let's even try to get it at the top of this tree when I can't seem to reach. That's what goats naturally do. They go around eating everything. Guys, what you put into your life makes a difference. Who you hang out with, what you take in, it makes a difference. They're, goats are always trying to stand up on their back legs. How many of you know that the Bible says if you, when you think you stand, you, unless you fall? Sheep, they just graze or graze and wander around just clueless. Do you know that sheep are one of the dumbest animals? So are goats. They're really dumb. They have very small brains. How many of you know that Jesus calls us sheep and uses that as an idiom? Do we think that that's offensive? It shouldn't be. Because if you've, if you've watched people long enough, you'll get what he said. They just walk around clueless. You know, we had a goat one time that it rained outside, and that goat stared at the rain until it drowned to death. We felt it outside, and it had literally just stared at the rain and let it drown itself to death. It could have just looked down, but it just kept drowning. And now that I'm older and we've pastured for a while, I totally get it. I get exactly why they, we had named that goat after my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> That's what was so funny. My mom named it that. And she was like, your goat died. And she was like, it was dumb. It drowned itself to death. And um, so, that's all I'll say about that. Um, goats and sheep have different temperaments. Sheep have a flocking instinct. When sheep come under attack and they hear a threat or a storm, Coming, they will naturally flock together and run into a group quickly. Goats are very independent. They don't think they need the church. They think that them and Jesus have their own thing going. 
Let me tell you something. God made us to be interdependent. He says that we are one body placed together to work together as a one-bodied unit. God did not write the whole New Testament for the church if you did not need the church. God wrote the whole New Covenant to a church because God says we need the church. Even when they fought warfare, when I was teaching the kids Bible this uh, last week or this week in school, I was talking to them about the Roman shields and how they would lock together and then the woods in the middle would hold the shield over the top of their head and then the woods in the back would hold the shield towards the back and how it took all of them to protect their top, their front, and their back. I don't care how strong you are and how big your shield is, you can't protect your back or the top of your head by yourself. You have to have a covering, you have to have shepherds, and you have to have a body of Christ that stands around side of you and protects you. We talked about that when Jesus talked about what you build your house upon. You have to build it upon the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ. You have to have walls that are the church that surround you and protect you, and you have to have elders and shepherds and leaders that cover your top and protect you. You have to have a covering. We can't make it without a covering. We can't make it without walls. But sheep come together. They're very interdependent. They will become distressed if they get separated from the others. How many of you know when you get separated from the church, your life will become distressed? Why? Because the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he will get you as quick as he possibly can. How many services does it take for to get you lukewarm? I'm telling you, as a pastor, I've watched it take people too. I've watched somebody up and down praying and crying and shouting one service. Two services later they miss, they're out. Why? Because when we think we stand, lest we fall. We think that we don't need what we get when we come into God's house, but we need it oh so very much. It may just be whether we make it or not. Amen. Goats are very independent. They have a curious nature and often like to go off exploring things. They love to jump over fences. And listen, you know where I got this information off of? Not, church, not a church page, not a Bible page. I got it off a farmer's page. I was reading what farmers were writing. And so they told the other farmers, if you take in goats, you better put in a real good fence and make it high to keep them in. And I thought, yes, farmers, as pastors, we get it. It says that they love to jump the fence. They love to run off. Goats versus sheep. Most sheep are naturally born without hordes. But most goats are always born with hordes. If a sheep does have a horde, it will wrap around its head, tightly to its head. But a goat's hordes are sharp, sharp and pointy, and they use it a lot to, point, to jab each other and to butt heads and to fight. And they'll even butt the shepherd. Has anybody ever had goats besides us? Has anybody ever had a goat try to butt them while you're trying to feed the joker? And it's literally trying to butt you in the leg. And you're like, I'm trying to feed and water you. Why are you butting me? And then we became pastors, and I got it. Thank you for those that laughed. Um, it says that, that, that the goats naturally want to butt. But here's the great thing. Here's the thing that when I was teaching the kids this about sheep this week, and this was before, this is before God ever gave me this message, I was teaching the kids about sheep this week. And I told them a fact that maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but why did God use him as the Lamb of God, as the idiom that he used to represent him? One, because sheep are pure. One, because sheep are innocent. But the main reason why is because sheep's blood is an anti-vittal for snake vittal. Sheep blood makes the anti-vittal for snake vittal. How many of you do that? Raise your hand. 
It is an anti-venom. I don't know if that gets to you like it gets to me, but that is killer. It was the precious blood of Jesus that changed us. It took out the venom in our life that was caused by the enemy. God is very smart. And I love how he uses every story, parable, idiom that he uses. He is so wise in everything that he does. The Old Testament tells the story of God receiving the blemished spotless lamb and taking them in the New Testament. This is what God says. I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 30. This is a story. Does the Bible, does the Bible tell a story in the Old Testament about Jesus choosing this, the, the, the lambs that were with spot and with blemish? That he chose them. Does, is there any story in the Bible that represents Jesus doing that? Let's look at this one. When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children, pass by that. Let's go to uh, pass 25. Start with 25. 30 and 25. Soon after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Please release me so I could go home to my old country. Let me take my wives and children, for I have earned them by serving you, and let me be all my way. You certainly know how hard I have worked for you. Please listen to me, Laban replied. I have become wealthy, for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me how much I owe you, whatever it is, and I will pay it. Jacob replied, You know how hard I've worked for you and how your flocks and herds have grown under my care. You had little indeed before I came, but your wealth has increased enormously. The Lord has blessed you through everything that I've done. But now about me, when, when can I start providing for my old family? What wages do you want? Laban asked again. Jacob replied, don't give me anything. Just do this one thing, and I'll continue to tend to watch over your flocks. Let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and goats that are speckled or spotted, along with all the black sheep. Give these to me as my wages. In the future, when you check all the animals you've given me as my wages, you'll see that I have been honest. If you find any in my flock, any goats without speckles or spots, or any sheep that are not black, you will know that I have stolen them from you. All right, Laban replied, it will be as you say. In this story, Jacob, which became Israel, he tells Laban, I'll take all the ones you don't want. I'll take all the speckled ones, the black sheep. I'll even take the speckled goats, and I'll make them mine. Well, Laban, if he goes on, Laban tries to trick him, mess him up. But God had a plan. And do you know what God used to, in order to give those speckled, that, the blessing of the speckled and the spotted lambs to him? He used sticks. Once again, sticks were used, and what did he put the sticks in? He put them in the water. In the water and trough. Another way. He said, you know what? I'll take the ones you don't want. I'll take the black sheep. How many of you have ever felt like you were the black sheep before? I'll take the speckled ones. I'll take the goats. I'll take all the ones that you don't want, and I'll leave you the pure ones. And then what did he do? He used what Jesus used for the word that means blameless or purified. He put some sticks into a water. And what happened is they began to multiply unto him, and God began to bless him. That represents the Gentile church that God took in, and he said, they, I'll take these. I'll let these. And they began to multiply. And he says that his church began to multiply. 
multiply and they began to grow. And it says that they were even added to daily, that they began to grow daily. They began to grow. And you know what? People have talked about the genetics of what did those sticks do. But when you look up the poplar branch and you look up the almond branch, which I've preached on the almond branch before, but do you know that they made them healthy? Oh, I'm about to get somewhere with this and y'all are about to go. You know what the poplar and, the, and all the branches do? They made them healthy. They didn't change their genetics. God did that. God did that. What it did is the poplar branch and the almond branch, they were gnawed and used even when immersed in water. They caused their sicknesses to be gone. They caused them to be, to be healed of sicknesses in their body. And that's how Jacob made sure that he got the strongest ones because he put those in there and it caused them to be genetically stronger because it started healing sicknesses in them. It says that the poplar branch immersed in water even heals, uh, when, when, even heals you if you can't if you can't go to the bathroom, if you can't pee, if, if you've got issues with your bladder or your kidneys, I was reading this on a health thing, poplar branch, literally boiled in water, if drinking that branch with that water they used in, in the Israel times to cure that. So they were making a pure breed. They were making, he was making them a healthy breed. How many of you know that when God decided that he would take us, he just put the water and he put the, and he put the cross and together he not only made us born again, but he healed all of our diseases. He made us the healthiest. He made us the ones that were the strongest. He took the weak ones that were thrown away and he made us strong. I don't know if you realize that, but that story is another story where God has hidden the fact that we were the ones that were chosen. And we were the ones that made God rich because it's the bride of Christ that has brought all the people into God. It's the bride of Christ that has brought so many to him. And then the one more thing as I close. Jesus said something that was very important when he talked about who could be Abraham's children and be the Lambs. In Luke, and Matthew, go to Matthew 3, 7 through 12. Matthew chapter 3, 7 through 12. But when he, when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them and said, You brood of snakes, <laughs> who warned you to flee the, this coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Just there, I want to stop for a minute. Go back. Just take these words right here from Jesus, and I want you to apply them to your own life. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and you've turned to God. All right, the next part goes like this. Don't just say to each other, we're safe because we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God could create children of Abraham from these very stones. What stones were he talking, was he talking about? He said, God could create children of Abraham out of these very stalls. So don't think just because you're an Israelite, you've got a one-way ticket to heaven. Church, let me tell you something. Just because you may have a, a title on a denomination in a church, don't think that gives you a one-way ticket to heaven. The only way that you may have a one-way ticket to heaven is you must be born again of water and spirit, and you must serve and live for God. He says, I can make children out of these very stalls. Luke 19, verse 40. Luke 19 and 40.
He replied, if they keep quiet, even the stalks along the road will burst out into cheers. God's talking about praising him, and he says, if you refuse to praise me, even the rocks will cry out. How many of you know that the, that the Gentiles were not only called dogs, but they were also compared to stones? Because the Jews said that the Gentiles had stony hearts. That's why God told them that they had stony hearts too. That we were considered to be like rocks because we had stony hearts. We had, no, we had no emotion, no feeling. They said that we were like dogs. We were just like unthinking animals, just doing whatever our nature told us to do. Jesus was talking more about that I can turn a stone into a child of Abraham than he was a rock. He was talking about us. He said, I can turn those stones into children of Abraham if I want to. Thank God he wanted to. Thank God that Jesus wanted to. In Ezekiel 36, he said, I'll take out the stony heart and I'll give you a heart of flesh, says the Lord. He says, I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll take out that old spirit. How many of you know that Jesus put a new heart in us? He took out that stone heart and he gave us a heart of flesh. And when we were filled with the Holy Ghost and his spirit, he said, I'll give you a new spirit, says the Lord. That's a, that's a prophecy. He turned some stony-hearted people into children of Abraham because they didn't want to cry out. It's our choice now that we get to cry out. He said, I'll even get the stones to cry out if you won't praise me. How many of you know that I'm proud to be that stone? Why did Jesus call himself a stone? Because he came and he took our place. And he said, I was the stone that the builders rejected, but now I've become the chief cornerstone, and I'll build my house with a bunch of Gentiles. I'll build my house with a bunch of Gentiles, with a bunch of unnatural, ungodly, stone-hearted people. I'll build a new house, and that house will be called the church of the living God. Guys, we're the stones that the builders rejected too. We're the stones that the Israelites rejected, but we're the ones that God said, I'll make a new temple, says the Lord. And that temple is my body, and it's your body because we're the temple of the Holy Ghost that lives within us. What I love about that is that the Old Testament, on the day of Pentecost, the 50th day after they left bondage of Egypt, God appeared on the mountain by fire, and he wrote on stone tablets the law of God. And then in the New Testament, on the 50th day, at the Feast of Pentecost, they were all in one house, in one mind, in one accord. And the Spirit of the Lord filled the place. And he filled them with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And he said, and I write my law now upon their hearts. That's that new covenant. That's the word teum. That's the word that now says that I'm blameless. I'm now spotless. I'm now redeemed of the Lord. Because when he filled me with the Holy Ghost and with fire, and when he baptized me in the water of repentance, it changed my very nature. I no longer begin to buck everything that the Lord tells me. I no longer walk around the way that I used to walk around because my very nature's been changed. Can't God change a goat into a lamb? If he could change a stone into a lamb, then he could change a goat. Can't God change us into something different? We must be born again. 
Why do you see some people come in and they change drastically? They fall in love with God and they're at every service. And they're praying and you see them grow and grow and grow. And then you see some people that never get it right. You must be born again. Religion is not enough. Trying to do it yourself is not enough. You will always fail. Your nature will fail you every time. Paul said it like this. The things I want to do, I never end up doing. And the things I don't want to do, I always end up doing. But be a chip. I've met so many people that stop right there. And they say, see, you'll always see it, because even Paul did. But Paul said, but now, thanks to Jesus Christ, I am no longer a slave to my sinful nature. They forget that part, that Paul didn't say, I'm still sinning all the time. He says, thanks to Jesus Christ, I'm no longer that slave. I've been radically transformed, and I've been radically born again. Why am I preaching that to a church this morning? Because if I went to preach that to every church in America, I could tell you right now 90% of them would need to come up and get born again. Why? Because God is not going to break you to heaven because you say a prayer. He's going to take you to heaven when you've been transformed and born again by the Spirit of God. He sure ain't going to take you to heaven by shaking a preacher's hand, I can tell you that. How will I know if I'm born again? What fruit do you bear? Do you live like God? Do you walk like God? Do you talk like God? When people see you, do they say, look, they're like the anointed one? How do you know that they're like the anointed one? Because they quote scriptures like the Son of God himself. But how do you know that they're like Christ? Because they lay hands on the sick and they recover. How do you know that they're like Christ? Because they cast out demons. How do you know if you've been born again? Do you do the things that Jesus did? Church, I'm about to say something that's going to make you, that's going to step on some toes, but I'm going to do it. There's too many people full of the churches every day that say that they're Christ-like and that they're Christians, but they've never cast out a devil. They've never prayed for the sick and saw the sick recovered. They've never spoken other tongues. The Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, laying hands on the sick, speaking in tongues, and casting out devils. How do we know that we've been born again of God because we will begin to do the same things that Jesus did? If you've been born again and you don't pray for people and see God move in their life and transform them, then what spirit do you have? Because it's not the spirit of God. Because where the spirit of God is, there's liberty and there's freedom. Stand to your feet this morning. I want y'all to see that song of blameless again. Some of you in this morning, as I was preaching this message, your spirit bear witness with what was preached, and you felt the Holy Ghost inside of you get excited when, you, when I was talking about the power of God radically changing you. Some of you were saying amen, and some of you were saying oh me. I haven't experienced that radical change. I prayed. I've asked God, but what's been the difference? The Bible says in Romans 10, 15, how will they know unless someone tells them? And how will they tell them unless they've been sent? The reason a lot of people don't know how to be born again is because they've been told their whole life that they just have to go up and say a prayer and ask for forgiveness. They've been taught Old Testament instead of New Testament. So they only had the faith to believe that God would forgive them and not the faith to believe that God can make them blameless. Not the faith to believe that God can change them radically. What does it mean to be blameless without spot, without blemish? Let me tell you those, those that are suffering 
and need to be healed, that's part of the atonement. Let's believe every part of the atonement. And when our body tries to tell us a lie, let's look at it and say, I'm blameless because I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. My body is blameless and it's spotless. I'm healed, I'm set free, and I'm delivered. How many of you know that we can begin to call those things that be not as though they were? This morning, one of the things I was teaching the kids this week is what the shepherd would do to the sheep because flies would come and try to get in their nose, they try to get into their ears. And they would constantly fly around their head and try to lay maggots that would get into the sheep's brain. And then the sheep would go crazy. And what would the shepherd do in the Bible to keep that from happening? He would anoint them with oil and pour it all over the sheep's head because that oil would make a barrier to where the maggots couldn't live, the eggs of the flies couldn't live, and it would keep them from the attacks against their brain, the attacks that come up in their ears so they couldn't hear. Why? Because a sheep's only defense is being able to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. How many times have you read the Bible and it says, who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? Where are the last days, guys? The government's corrupt. The world is corrupt. Let me tell you something. Everything's corrupt. I will be honest with you, a lot of the church world is corrupt. The only way that you're going to make it is if you have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. You've got to know when God warns you to not to do something. You've got to know when to listen to the Spirit. How do you know? The Bible says in Psalms 23, He anoints my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will be able to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This morning the Lord told me to anoint some sheep. And then let the cup overflow. He said to anoint my sheep so that the things of this world will not begin. And to pray that they have ears to hear. Pray that they are cleansed and spotless. So this morning I want you to run down to this altar right now. And I want you to stand there. And I want you to say, God, make me blameless. Make me spotless. Spirit of the living God. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you've said it, say it again. If you've never said this prayer, I want you to say it and repeat it with me. And mean it with all your heart. Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I know that I was born a sinner. And I know that I've sinned against you. But I know that Jesus came to make me born again, to change me and to make me blameless, to take away my impurities, to even change my DNA. And so God, I give myself to you right now. Holy Spirit, baptize me in the water and the Spirit, because I give you a right to come in and be my God and I'll be yours in Jesus' name. Now I want you to lift your hands this morning and begin to pray and say, God, anoint my head with oil oh, that my cup can run over. Elon, I'm going to shut it.